Would you pray with me? Spirit, we have um, made some bold statements. Said we're hanging on every word that you have, and actually we always need your grace even to do that, so we ask for that. We ask that your word would transform us and that we would be so attentive to what you want to do in our hearts. Father, we are so grateful that you have made us your children by sending your son to die for us. We're so grateful that you've given your spirit to bring us into intimate communion with you. And I just ask that today you would allow us to be made more like Jesus because of the time we have and his work in our lives. pray in Jesus' name, amen. Last summer, as you, uh, mostly of you, would know, um, we spent time away. It was uh, just an incredible time, and almost nothing was bad, but there were a couple of really low points that um, I look back on and go, well, that wasn't so cool, like when we wound up at the Canadian border and he asks for our uh, car registration, we realized we didn't have it with us, and uh, he wasn't going to let us into the country, and um, anyway, that was okay. It worked out. Um, the one that still bothers me, though, happened in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. We were heading from New York down to Virginia, and a need hit us, not a want, not a desire, but a genuine, bona fide life need for coffee. <laughs> and um, praise God, coffee's available all over the place, and there are certain even chains that you can go to to get a decent cup of coffee, and so hit the phone and said, hey... Clark Summit, Pennsylvania has a Starbucks, let's go. So got off the freeway, drove a little ways off the freeway, it wasn't right there, to get to this Starbucks. I'm particularly excited and uh, jump out of the car and run up to the door and it has its sign that says it's open, that's good news. Right below it is a sign that says, sorry, we are all out of coffee. (laughs) I'm just thinking... I don't even have words to say. What do you say? How can you possibly be all out of coffee? It says on your sign, Starbucks Coffee Company. I mean, this is, this is your identity. This is what makes you who you are. They sell your coffee at the grocery store. Send an employee over there, buy some coffee, bring it back, and make me some coffee. You know, if you said we're all out of bakery goods, that's fine. You're not Starbucks Biscotti Company. I can deal with that. We're not Starbucks Matcha Company, Starbucks Tea Co- All of those things are fine. But coffee is the one reason you exist. It is the one defining reality of who you are, and you don't even have it. It was very troubling, very troubling. And it also got me thinking in light of this verse. Let me read this to you talking about us. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Absolutely constitutive, absolutely fundamental, absolutely central to everything that we are is this defining reality as a follower of Jesus, if I'm a genuine follower of Jesus, I have the Spirit. The Spirit is in me. To think of a Christian who doesn't have the Spirit is more bizarre even than thinking of a Starbucks that has no coffee. What's the point? It's not anything. It's nothing. Now, here's a question. 
If I'm a follower of Jesus, the Spirit lives in me. That's the Word of God. Think about this. The Almighty, all-powerful, all-wise, infinite God, who thought up everything and spoke the universe into existence, who continues to actively engage to the tiniest level with everything that goes on, upholding it all by the word of his power. This infinite being who is active and powerful and wise is inside this finite little person. How can that be without it just spilling out all over everything? How would it even be remotely possible for me to contain that reality and it not show up everywhere in everything all the time? So here's the question to make it more personal. Is the presence and power and activity of the Spirit defining for you? Can somebody be around you and not know the Spirit is in you? And if so, how's that even possible? How can you hang out the open sign and say, but there's no Spirit here? How can I do that? As we are in this journey, life in the Spirit, I want to talk about our openness to the Spirit this morning. Spirit is at work always. But because it's a divine human partnership, and there's a real partnership, he accommodates himself to me. Because if he didn't, he'd squash me. That would be the end of me. So he measures, if you will, his own work in part. Now, he's the sovereign God. He does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. But part of that sovereign plan is to measure his engagement at some level with my responsiveness so the question is, am I open to the Spirit? How do I cultivate openness to the Spirit so that I can grow in my experience of the presence and power of God in my life? If you have a Bible, go ahead and open, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm going to take you to a number of different passages this morning, and you can listen along and just write them down, or you can follow along. But I want to give you two words that you can hang it all on. Because these two words, I am convinced, are central to my ability to cultivate this openness to the Spirit so He works in me. And it's central to all of us. These are the two things I need to keep, and I need to keep them paired up. They have to go hand in hand. One word is expecting, and the other word is accepting. Expecting and accepting. Am I expecting the Spirit of God to work? Am I ready for that? Am I looking for that? Am I open to that? Is that part of my experience? I ought to be expecting that constantly. Accepting has to go with that because it's not just that God would work, it's that God would work. Right? He's not the force, not some power at work in the universe that I can kind of manipulate. He's a person. He makes choices. And because he's sovereign, 
His choice is always the defining choice. And one of the mistakes that I can make in seeking to be open to the Spirit is to be open to certain things from the Spirit, but not other things from the Spirit, which is not to be open to the Spirit at all. It's saying to him, I want you in my life, but not really you. I want a cardboard cutter out of you that does what I expect and not what I don't. That says to me the things I want to hear and not what I don't. That works when I want and not when I don't. So expecting and accepting. Those two things. If I cultivate those two things, that puts me in a place where that partnership with the Spirit can really thrive. And I want to give you some verses that'll kind of set the tone. Let's start in 1 Thessalonians 5. And I want to give you three short passages about expecting. First one is first that book that I said. <laughs> Chapter 5, verse 19. It says, do not quench the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. How? Don't despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Don't quench the spirit by being a scoffer, by being cynical, by being dismissive of what he's doing. When, when I'm in relationship with God and he's active, sometimes his activity is very disruptive. How can an infinite God work in a finite person's life without it every once in a while overwhelming all the circuits? and being inexplicable and hard to grasp. And he's saying in, in the specific application here, he's talking about that special word from God that is disruptive and breaks in and says, here's what God's saying right now to you in this context, that prophetic word. And that's a great place to start. The Spirit works in all kinds of disruptive ways, and I think that principle that's laid out here probably applies to that as well. Anytime that I am cynical or skeptical or closed off to the idea that God might break in in some disruptive and unexpected way, I'm shutting down the work of the Spirit. And he says, don't do that. Be open to the Spirit by expecting him to work and letting him work, right? Turn over, if you will, to Acts chapter 16. I'm 15. Acts 15. Let me give you one more piece of this expectancy puzzle. Craig actually talked a little bit about this passage, the council in Jerusalem. They're, basically, they're asking the question, how Jewish do you have to be to be Christian? And it's new territory. Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Jewish law, and yet he founds a whole new movement called Christianity named after him. How much of the old has to be part of the new? Because everything about Christianity is rooted in Judaism. How much gets brought forward from that plan and how much doesn't? That's, the, that's really the, the crux of the issue. And in this passage, we find key leaders like Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James wrestling this question through. And we don't see a lot of reference to prayer. Sure, they did pray. They were men of prayer. And we don't see any reference to some sort of dramatic moment where God says, hey, here's the answer. Pay attention. But after they've wrestled this through for some time, verse 28 is what I want to point you to. James stands up 
And he says, it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And he goes on to answer the question that's been presented. James, this is James, the brother of Jesus. Even being the brother of Jesus, it's pretty cheeky to say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us unless God actually works this way. That somehow through their process, God God surfaced a conviction among them. He worked in their hearts through the wisdom and understanding and whatever else he chose to do so that kind of arising within them is this conviction. This is what God is saying. God is speaking in, not so disruptively, but certainly discernibly. Turn over to Revelation chapter 2, please. letters to seven churches, and this particular verse is repeated pretty much throughout. We'll just take the first one, chapter 2, verse 7. Through John, the Spirit is speaking, and he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Right, the Spirit's speaking to the churches, and what's actually happening here is Scripture's being written right? God has told John, I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to show you and tell you, and then I want you to write it down as scripture and send it off to these churches. And the fact that it's plural is really important because it's not just the church in Ephesus. It's, it's, there's something specific for them, but there's a bigger picture that all of the churches are to read this personally, it's not, just, it's not just a precept, it's not just a theological doctrinal structure that says, here's some basic ideas for life. I am speaking to you through these words right here, right now, personally. Three different pictures, and we could build out more, but that's enough for us to say, God's at work. He breaks in, sometimes in very disruptive ways. In communication, that often looks like a word of prophecy. Or he sometimes works in a little bit more subtle ways, but nonetheless, you just sense God's in it in a more direct way, like happened in Jerusalem. Or sometimes it's just the the normal means he's given us, kind of the gentle leading of God that takes place through his word, and yet there's this relational, direct interaction that takes place where he's speaking to me. Because the Spirit of God does that. He's in me, and he is not silent. There's there's no reason for me to be a Christian deist. God somehow made this all. He's got a plan. He gave me a good instruction book, and someday he's going to come back and pick me up, and in the meantime, just do the best you can. That's not the way God works. The infinite God is actually in me and actually wants to communicate with me and interact with me and break into my life in a whole variety of ways, and some of those ways are very disruptive, and some of those ways are much more mundane, if I can use that word about God, and That's all him. And I'm supposed to enjoy him in that. I'm supposed to respond to him in that. I'm supposed to partner with him in that. I'm supposed to experience him in that. And an openness to to the spirit says, maintain an expectancy. Don't shut that down. Expect that he's going to do that. I, I don't know your experiences. I've talked to enough people to know a lot of people have experiences that they don't tend to talk about because they're embarrassed or they're nervous or whatever, but a lot of us have had God break in in direct ways. I remember it was a 
moment of, of wrestling, I had actually two big burdens on my heart and I was praying and I'd been praying for some time and the two burdens actually didn't seem to connect with each other. They were just the two things that were uppermost in my heart and mind and I was habitually pouring myself out to God about these things and in one season of prayer, something happened, right? And as I was praying, a picture came into my mind and then words that you could put quotes around that weren't from me. It was very disruptive. In fact, my initial response was, that's stupid. I'm, I'm really glad God is so gracious and patient. <laughs> I just called him stupid. But I just thought this is crazy because there was this picture and there was this message about this thing I was praying about and this thing that I was praying about. And he said to me, give me this something in my heart, and that'll take care of this. And ask for this and the thing that he showed me, and I'll give that to you, and that would take care of this. And I dismissed it. I shoved it out and tried to move on, and I couldn't because it was intrusive. And so I eventually, even I wise up, and I said, okay, well, um, I don't know. I'm cautious, but I'll, I'll explore this. There were a couple of steps that I could take to see if this was really God, and sure enough, just all started falling into place. That was a moment where he spoke in very dramatically. Now, my own experience of the more dramatic working of God is that it's often unlooked for and even unwelcome initially, and I can be kind of slow and cautious. And the verse that we read in Thessalonians doesn't say be cautious, but it does say be discerning. So um, don't be skeptical. Don't be negative, but do check it out. Do check it out. Make sure it is from God. But that was a moment where there was this more dramatic breaking in. And God was at work. And I need to be open to that. Um, sometimes it's the more subtle kind of conviction rising. And I was in a season of great intense ministry. It was a... Um, yeah, there was, there was a lot going on. And I had had a number of extra things pile on that I couldn't help. And so I was looking out at the coming week and it was literally insane. I was thinking, how am I possibly gonna do this? Everything, every request, doesn't matter what anyone says, the answer is no, 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 no. So as I'm praying one morning, uh, a family popped into my mind from the church. A family I didn't know very well, didn't have a, much of a personal connection. I mean, I'm their pastor, and I know them some, but there's a lot of us, and, and there was nothing specific, and I had no idea why they'd be coming into my head, so I thought, well, I'll, I guess I'll pray about it. That must be God wants me to pray for them. So as I'm praying for them, I, just, I basically just say amen, and then the phone rings, and guess who's on the phone? It's them with a request for that week where I already said, no, 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 no. And yet, in that moment, there was this clear conviction, yes, 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 which was crazy. But I believe it was God. And he was preparing me. He was working. And in that moment, I had the sense not to shut him down, but instead to respond. I said yes, did what I was asked to do, and it was tough, but in the process, I was able to lead some people to Christ and disciple. It was this huge moment and it was a God thing, and it was God working deeper than just kind of my worldview, do the best you can. There was something more direct, because he sometimes does that. 
a week ago, I was again at another point of kind of burden. I don't know why I'm always so burdened. Because I actually am not a really stressed out kind of person, I think. Maybe I'm lying to myself. I don't know. Now I'm getting stressed about that. <laughs> so I was carrying some burdens. I'm like, oh, Lord, how did I get here? I need help. And, and uh, I was doing my reading that morning, and I was reading very responsively. Um, uh, something I'll tell you about in a second. But um, as I was reading, I was reading the passage where Jesus is walking on the water towards the boat, and they're all freaking out in the boat thinking, we're going to die. Something scary is coming at us. And he calls out to the, said, it's me, don't be afraid. And in that moment, it was like that verse lifted off the page and just drilled me and said, do you know, Robert, sometimes the scary things coming at you are me? Don't be afraid. Okay, now, listen carefully. I spent 37 semesters teaching how to properly interpret the scripture at Biola. 27, I don't know, it's a long, a lot of them bunch of semesters teaching that. And here's the rule. There's one meaning, always one meaning, and that is what did the author intend as the original audience would have understood it. And the original audience would not have understood what I was hearing at all. However, that's always where we start. Always, 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 always where we start. But this is truth. Scripture expects us to get more from it than just that. There's something called theology where the truth of Scripture can speak to other things outside of just what was being initially addressed. Sometimes that theology can actually get really personal, like in this moment, here's what I want you to understand about my principles and my will for your life. And I think that was one of those moments. And because, by the way, I encourage you to read the Bible this way, and I encourage you to be saturated enough with the Bible that you can do it safely, because it's very dangerous for me to just start imposing my view. So I have to vet that and say, wait, could this be what God is saying? Is this match with his will and his word and the things that I know when I was able to process it and go, yeah. And he, in that moment, spoke to me through the word. Just the word of God being read and there was something very personal in that moment where the God who is in me said, hey, wake up. I got something to tell you. And by the way, just even during that day, the things I was stressing about began to be solved by God. And he just kind of showed me, look, this is, I'm, I'm coming towards you, and I know it's kind of scary, but I got this, right? Here's the question for all of us. If God is in us, and he wants to relate with us, his communication, his, his engagement in our world, the things that he does for and through us, they're going to show up in all kinds of ways, sometimes very disruptive, and, and we go, whoa, what just happened? Sometimes kind of more subtle, but yeah, God's, God's really doing something. Sometimes it's through his normal processes. There's just something that he highlights and he leads us to. I have to be the one who's expecting that, who's guarding an openness, who's not shutting it down, who's not cutting off what God might want to do. I have to cultivate an attentiveness to the Spirit's work in my life. Let me give you two spiritual disciplines that might help with that. By the way, you know that's a really good understanding of spiritual disciplines? Tools to cultivate attentiveness to what the Spirit is doing in my life. That's all they are, if they're properly used. So let me give you two simple ones that might help you. One of the things I think we don't see God working because we're just not looking for it. 
So a simple practice that you can adopt that people have been doing for a very long time is how you end your day. A time of prayer, it doesn't have to be long, where you're reflecting on the day that's gone before, and you're walking through it with God, and you're saying, okay, God, um, what happened today? Where were you in that? And pay particular attention to times you felt like, wow, I was really connected to God, and maybe times you felt like I was particularly distant from God, and if something happened, why were you distant? What was going on there? And maybe there's a sin or something you need to be aware of, and you confess. Maybe over on this side where you, you're saying, wow, I saw God work there. You see something that helped put you in the position where that could happen, or maybe it was just that moment he broke through, and you can praise him, and you can thank him, and you can do all of that in prayer before him, and then look to the next day and say, okay, God, let's do that again. It's a way of sharing that day with him and being attentive to what he's already doing. Another one is how you engage with scripture and reading it relationally. Always start by saying, what did the author intend for the original audience to understand, and what does that mean? But then, what else might God be saying is a legitimate question. I'm, I've got a group of guys that we're working through the book of John, and we have two assignments every week. We do a chapter, and the first time we'll read it through one to three times, and we'll just look for the meaning of the text. We ask questions about what's here, what's not, what might it mean, and then even some application-oriented things, what might be the significance of the meaning of this text. Second time we read it through, we'll read it through one to three times and say, Lord, would you just impress me with something that you want to share with me right now in this passage? That's what I did when he pointed out the walking on the water, a little different direction than what he meant in the passage I was reading, and yet was clearly congruent with the will of God, the, the scriptures, part of solid theology, and in that moment he was working. And then just process that, pray it through with him, journal it, and allow him to speak to you. It can be a really powerful thing. Being open to God requires that I would expect that he's working, because he is. Always, everywhere. So I just want to be in on that. Coupled with that, necessarily coupled with that, I have to be accepting. I expect he speaks, I accept how he speaks. I expect he works, I accept how he works. I expect he moves, and I accept how and when he moves, because he's the sovereign God. And he's not a force, and he's going to do what he wants when he wants. And if I want to be part of that, I have to adjust myself to him. And it's really easy, for instance, to listen for what I want to hear and not hear other things. That's natural. So the principle is guard your wanter so that you want to hear God, not hear God say X. You want to experience God, not experience God doing X. Be careful with the expectation side. He's going to work, but he's going to be God. And I need to cultivate an acceptance of his sovereign will. Let me read you some more verses. In Acts chapter 13 says this, starting in verse 1. Put yourself in the place of this church 
Actually, for us, it's not very remote. It's easy to do. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manah, and a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The Holy Spirit breaks in and he says, hey, uh, I know things are going really well and I know you like what's going on and that's good and now I'm sending 40% of your team away to go start something new. Now that's the word of God for the people in Antioch and if they're going to be really engaging with God, not only do they have to be open that, hey, he could be speaking, but they have to be open to what he's actually saying and be responsive. That was hard. Nobody jumped up and down and said, yeah, well, maybe if you didn't like one of them, you'd say, yay, I've been praying that God would move Paul to the church down the street, and he did, hallelujah. It was hard. It was hard. But it was a spirit thing, and he was sovereign. He's not asking, he's telling. Let me read you another verse. This one's in Acts chapter 16, just a couple of pages over. Now Paul and Silas are going out and doing their missionary thing, and they have this vision, they have this passion, they have this commitment of where they're going to go, what they're going to do, they've got a plan. And it says in verse 6, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Here they are. We know what we're supposed to do. We're trying to do it, God, and you keep shutting us down. It would be so easy to be frustrated because we so often get fixated on this is it. This is the thing. This is what I want, and God wants this too. And it's so good. Why wouldn't he want this? And he says, no, 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 no. What do I do in that moment? That's defining. If the Spirit's going to be working in me, he's sovereign. And he may be saying something that I'm not looking for, or maybe I'm surprised by, maybe not even like. We know that he gave him a better plan that was his plan, and it all worked out great. But in that moment, it's not always a fun thing to hear. But I have to accept what the Spirit says. One more. Romans 8, familiar verses. It says, likewise, this is verse 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Sometimes I can't pray, I don't know what to pray, I don't have it in me to pray, I'm confused or I'm just so broken and hurting, I just groan out to God and the Holy Spirit is joining me, but he is not saying, Robert, what is it you want? Let me see if I can get that done for you. You know, I know God pretty well and I've got an inside track with him and I can fix this for you. He's saying, Father, what do you want? Let's do that. He's sovereign. I think one of the challenges, actually at the ends of the spectrum that we sometimes see, you know, um, for, for simplicity's sake, and, and I'm not, I'm not um, mocking any 
viewpoint because there are really good people that hold a whole spectrum of viewpoints. But when it gets to its kind of absurd end, we, we look at people and go, man, the holy rollers, just everything's this, it's chaos and everything's this whatever and, and there's the holy rollers and we go, oh, that's, that's not God. But then at the other end, there's the eye rollers. Oh. Usually they're rolling their eyes at them and anyone that says anything nice about them, so they'd be rolling their eyes at me in just about three seconds here. Like, oh, that's not God, you know, and there's this cynical kind of mindset. Somewhere between naivete and cynicism is actual biblical experience of God that is vibrant and real. And... I have to keep the sovereignty of God central if I'm actually going to be able to, to live there. I was uh, watching a, a kind of a documentary on one of the well-known um, leaders of Christian broadcasting. He's gone home to be with the Lord now, a good man, a lot of things about him that I didn't agree with, a lot of things about how he presented himself that I actually cringed at. You would know who I'm talking about if I told you, so I'm not going to. But as he was reflecting back, he said... You know, we saw God do so many great things that at, at some point, I think we just got kind of focused there. And then the next thing you know, we're hoping he'll do things and looking for him to do things and convincing ourselves he's doing things. And one thing leads to another. And he never intended to be deceptive or anything like that, but he kind of fooled himself into thinking a bunch of stuff that wasn't God was God because he got fixated on something God was doing and that was the point. And instead of saying something God is doing. And God gets to choose, and sometimes that's pretty wild, and sometimes it's pretty mundane. And I can't manufacture that, and I can't demand that. I just have to wait and see what he's going to do. Sovereignty of God, really central, would help with that. With the eye rollers, same thing. A friend I was talking with some time ago told me, said, there's nothing, and I think he really meant this, there's nothing I would like more than to have this dramatic experience, miraculous experience of the Holy Spirit. And yet, of all the people I know, he's one of the most cynical and one of the most skeptical about God actually doing that. Because God's not going to do that. Right? Either way, I'm telling God what to do. Openness to God means I accept that he is God, and he can go as high on the scale or as low on the scale as he wants to be. He can be as big and loud or as quiet and easily missed as he wants to be because he's God. And I just want to be open. I just want to be open. Here's a question that I think can be helpful in your prayer life. What's your ratio of asking to telling? And remember, sometimes we can tell by asking. We only ask for certain things and certain, you know, it's like, yeah, we're telling. There's a place to speak, to tell, not in a sense of I'm ordering God around, but to tell, absolutely, that's biblical. But how much am I asking? How much am I slowing down? It's really hard to hear somebody if I'm doing all the talking. And that includes God. He's the sovereign one. He gets to do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, where he wants. And one of the key things, and I just want to finish with this for a minute. One of the things that I think we rob ourselves of so much is we're looking for God's directional engagement. 
and he does directional things. He convicts us of sin. He guides us. He teaches us. He opens the doors. He empowers us. But we forget he's not just engaging directionally. He's also engaging relationally. Right? You still have Romans 8 there. Look at verse 15 and 16. This is central to what the Spirit's about. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In Hebrews, we're told that God spoke in various times in various ways to our fathers through the prophets. That's the word. I'm paraphrasing. And in these final days, he's spoken to us through his son. Now, the word is absolutely central. But he said, what I want you to understand is it goes beyond just principles and doctrines and truths and worldview and systems. It is personal and relatable. And the only way for me to communicate me to you is to come in a form that you can actually see me and be with me. And when I leave, I'm going to leave the spirit so that you can continue to engage with me at that level. The ultimate revelation of God is very, very personal. He wants to be really intimate, right? There's a difference between having a transactional relationship and an intimate relationship. Any of you that have ever been in love or are in love or are married, you know how that works, right? It's one thing to know what she thinks. It's another thing to get why she thinks it. It's one thing to know she's alive, and it's another thing to be familiar with the sound of her breath. It's one thing to know where she lives, and it's another thing to drive by at one in the morning just to be a little closer. It's one thing to just look her in the eyes to have a conversation. It's another thing to get lost in her eyes so words don't matter. Those are different worlds. My relationship with God is not romantic. It's deeper. It's actually more intimate. As close as I get to my wife, there's always going to be a distance. He's closer than my breath. How am I making sure that I am intimately responding to him? We're going to sing some worship songs. Those can be a rehearsal of truth. Or that can be a real moment, a real moment with God to be drawn close. I, I know I'm a total nerd, and it's really hard for me to communicate some things with you, but there is nothing so extraordinary, not just because it's amazing, but because it is a God moment for me to be in a truly dark place looking at truly beautiful things through a great telescope. It's just amazing. And... It's amazing because I meet God. It's amazing. In fact, I've taken to doing this whenever I'm at a dark place, which is not very often, but when I have opportunity, I'll end my observing session by putting my iPad through the Bluetooth speaker and playing a worship song that some of you will be familiar with. It says, as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. 
I can see your heart in everything you made, every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so will I. That takes on a whole new meaning under a totally black sky as, it, as you've just been looking at the whirlpool galaxy and going, that's more than 25 million light years away. It's got like 100 billion stars in it. It has a black hole in the center that is staggering in size, that is devouring everything it can, and it is sending out radiation that is mind-blowing so that it lights up the universe. It's devouring this little galaxy that's right next to it, and it is stunningly beautiful. It is an aesthetic experience. It is an experience of vastness. It is an experience of the power of God. All of those things are going through my mind as I'm looking at that, and then what comes into my mind? Abba, Father, my dad did that. He's thinking about me. And I play that song and I just stand there like this. And it's not just rehearsing truth. It is a moment to be with my dad who did that. I know somebody who was going through a really hard time. And it was extended. And they were ready to just say, forget it. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to walk away from all these things that I poured my life into, and I'm going to go do something else, because this is nuts. This hurts. This is crazy. I don't deserve this. What is going on? And for a whole year, they told me, for a whole year, they started every day and ended every day with the same worship song. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Sing with me. My voice isn't good enough. Oh, my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I will worship your holy name. Now listen to the words. The sun comes up. A new day is dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass, whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. When you're crushed, when you have nothing left, when you're saying, God, I just want out and I don't even know how I'm going to do this, that is a cry of protest. That is a protest song that says, but by your grace, I will not give up. But I can't do this. That song is an act of worship, flinging myself into the arms of my God and saying, carry me, carry me, Dad, I can't do this. When you and I worship God, there's some powerful things that can happen because I can actually open my heart and my soul to my Savior, to my friend, to the God who's within me and closer than my breath. We're gonna sing. We're gonna praise and I would invite you to do that. Let this be one of those moments where you let the Spirit, the almighty, powerful God, do whatever he wants. You may get all excited or you may get very somber or it may be very quiet. It may be very moving. It doesn't matter. He's sovereign. We just want to present ourselves to him and celebrate him. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you. Thank you for the Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're the sovereign God. You get to say what and when and how and why. 
But we want to be open. We want to be expectant of you doing things, and we want to be accepting of how you do them. Thank you for inviting us into your life, to the life of the Father and the Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.